Get your Bibles out. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. Hold your spot there. Let me kind of give you a recap of last week. We started this series, Exiles. Exiles has a thought in it, the exiles of the Bible. We see this in Old Testament as well as in New Testament. Particularly in the Old Testament, what the story is is that God's people were living in Jerusalem. There was a temple there. God's presence was there. God law, God's law was there. His directions, his care, providence for his people. However, his people continued to sin against him. God promised, if you continue to sin against me, I will allow another nation to come in and remove you from this promised land. That is exactly what happened. As a result of God's people's sin against God, God allowed a nation, um, Babylon nation, to come in and take God's people away. There were three waves in this particular exile. The first wave was to take away the youngest, the brightest, the smartest, the most talented, of which we find in that group, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we learned about that. They were, they were brought away to Babylon, and the thought was, in Nebuchadnezzar's way of building a kingdom, was that he would go into a land, take the best out of that land, its jewelry and so forth, but also its talented young people, bring them to his land, let them be trained in their schools with a top-notch education. So think about the Ivy League or the ASU-type educations of their particular day. <laughs> See if you guys are listening. Um, of that particular day, and have them to be trained, and then eventually they would lose their faith, lose their ideologies, and then they would bring all of their goods into that land and fall under that culture. So that was what we talked about last week. And we said, as followers of Christ, we're asking this question, it's titled this series, Exile, is finding our place or being faithfully present um, with the Lord in our cultural moment. And we said our cultural moment is one in which, like the exiles, we live in a context where it's not necessarily where everybody worships our God. That it's not assumed that when you are in school, when you're in your particular vocation, when you're in your neighborhood, that people believe in God as the ultimate reality and way of life. So how do we live as God's faithful people? And we said there's three ways last week. One is we don't want to assimilate. And that is the idea of just being a part of the culture in such a way that there's no uniqueness. So we take the dimmer switch of our faith and we turn it down and we assimilate into the culture in which we find ourselves. We said we don't want to just have the pendulum swing and withdraw from culture. The way that happens is you create a Christian community or a Christian ghetto or have all Christian things and so forth and remove yourself from the big bad culture. Maybe you go into the city only to work, to consume a few things and go back into your community. What we said is that's just another culture. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're really faithfully following Jesus. Or there's this, this other way, this way of being faithfully present with God, following the scriptures in the context and the culture and where God has us. And so that was week one. Today, we, and for the next few weeks, we're looking at Daniel and his friends, and primarily as we look at the narratives, the competing narratives that we have in our culture. And so particularly this week, we're looking at consumerism, this story that has shaped and has shaped our society in such a way that whether we realize it or not, it's affected us as the body of Christ, that we are consumeristic people, and what, how do we make our way, or how do we live um, in this particular context. And so that's what we're going to be able to look at uh, this evening in the book of Daniel. So for the way of flow, this is how we're going to do it. We're gonna, I'm going to walk through the whole chapter of Daniel, chapter 2, which, by the way, is a long chapter. So they gave me 15 extra minutes <laughs> or more, whatever the Spirit leads, right? So the whole chapter of Daniel, we're going to walk through that. And then from there, looking at its context, going, okay, what is our narrative that we're competing against? Because we're not competing against um, Nebuchadnezzar as king, but what is a particular story, primarily of consumerism? And then from there, what are the ways forward? What are the practices we have to practice the ways of Jesus in our, in our lives? So looking at the whole chapter, looking at our story and this problem, and then looking at the way of the gospel and practicing the ways of Jesus. So let me pray, and we'll jump right into it. Jesus, we thank you. We ask that you would bless our time, that your spirit would lead and your spirit would guide. 
your spirit would bring up conviction in our lives, that we would see sin, not just in its individual nature, but in its corporate sense, and how we're shaped by a story that is actually incompatible with the story of the gospel, how we find our place in you, and to be able to faithfully follow you in the time and place in which you have us, in Christ's name, amen. So I'm a fundamental believer that God can speak in many ways. Primarily, he speaks through his word. Um, his word lets us know that he speaks through creation. Um, he speaks, even in his word, we see he's even speaking through a donkey. And so he'll do whatever he can to get the attention of God's people. And so I say that because I don't normally have titles to my sermons. But Josh likes to have titles to his sermons. And I said, you know what, I'll title my sermons too. For the sake of having a title, my title for today's message is, It All Falls Down, right? And you say, isn't that from Kanye? It's exactly from Kanye, right? But let me just tell you, this is pre-Kim K. Kanye, all right? Oh, this, this, is, this is old Kanye, not sunken Kanye. So this is what we have here. Now, here's what I say. My journey to leading me to the Lord started in about 2003 and 2004. I was a junior slash senior slash fifth year senior, one of those years, right, um, at ASU. Phenomenal school, by the way. So I'm at this school getting this great education, kind of like Daniel and his friends. And, and they're, 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 the CD came out of this new rapper from Chicago named Kanye West, right? So Kanye has this CD, and on the CD, he's got this song called It All Falls Down. And he was speaking and rapping in such a way that no other rapper at this time was rapping like. Because he was actually had substance and he was telling a story. And it actually resonated with me. And so in this particular song, he talks about, um, essentially he says, I'm so self-conscious. That's why you always see me with, the little, with at least one of my watches. And what he's saying is there is going, because I'm so self-conscious, I don't even step out the house unless I got a nice watch on. Right? And you go, okay, oh, what else? He keeps, he says a lot of stuff that he says in this song that I wouldn't say here because I'm saved. I would never say that, right? Um, and so he goes on and on and on, and he says, talking about buying things and just buying things to, to, to try to fill yourself, he says, um, I'm not, he's, he says himself, he's not even out of the loop, meaning like, I'm, I'm, totally, I'm totally up and down because I went to Jacob's with 25,000 before I bought a house and I'll do it again because I want to be on 106 and Park pushing a Benz. I want to act ballerific like it's all terrific. I got a couple pass-through bills. I won't get specific. <laughs> ah, I'm not even done. <laughs> I got a problem with spending before I get it. We all subconscious. I'm just the first to admit it. Okay, let me paraphrase that for you or translate that for you or exegete that for you, okay? <laughs> what he's saying is I had 25000 I went to Jacob's. Jacob's is a jewelry. He goes to Jacob's jewelry. I had 25000 I bought ice. Ice, that means another word for diamonds, okay? He said, I bought $25,000 worth of jewelry before I bought a house. You may say, that's not wise. He's not saying it's wise. He's confessing, right? He says, I bought, before I bought a house, and he goes, I'll do it again because I want to be on 106 and Park. Okay, 106 and Park was a TV show that was basically like the black version of TRL, right? And you go, what's, it was on BET. And if you say, what is BET? We don't have enough time, right? <laughs> I want to be on 106 and Park pushing a Benz. That means driving a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> 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 I want to be on 106 and Park pushing the bench. I want to act ballerific. Like it's all terrific. And he says this. I got a couple past due bills. For those of you who've never been broke, that's when bills were due and you did not pay them. <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing, right? Again, a confession. I got a couple past due bills. I won't get specific. I got a problem with spending. Now, this is everybody. I don't care if you're black, white, rich, or poor. I got a problem with spending before I get it. That's credit card debt. We all self-conscious. I'm just the first to admit it. What he's saying is, my whole life is predicated on what the, the stuff that I have. 
that my confidence because of my self-consciousness has to be with jewelry and things in which I have. Whatever your thing may be, it may not be um, those particular things, but for me, the 21-year-old the, the version of me sitting on the couch watching this video is going, wait a minute, this dude is actually saying stuff that resonates with me. Because every time I get a paycheck, all I'm trying to do, I'm trying to buy some Jordans, I'm trying to buy a hat to match, I'm probably a fitted tee back then, I'm throwback jersey, whatever I can have, because when I come out of the house, I want to be able to look good because I'm so subconscious. He's actually able to admit it. Now, I'm not endorsing anything that Kanye says, especially now. All I'm saying is that that particular song, it spoke to something. What we're going to see right, and that it all falls down is what we see in the book of Daniel, particularly here in chapter 2, no matter what Nebuchadnezzar can build or the kingdom that comes after him or the kingdom that comes after him, no matter how much stuff, no matter how much talent, no matter how much creativity could be brought into this particular context, no matter what, any kingdom that is built on anything other than the saving work of Jesus Christ, at some point, it all falls down. It all falls down. It could look good. It could even be God-given if it's not actually rooted in the saving work of the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all falls down. That stuff and experiences and things can never satisfy the way that only Christ can satisfy. So if you're with me, Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in, and they stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream. Not that type. And the spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Let me paraphrase here for the sake of time. So he brings in the enchanters, um, the magicians, and the, and, and the astrologers, and all of the wise men. Now, mind you, just re remind you, he brought in the most talented people in his land. And now he's having a dream that is disturbing him, and he brings them in to say, please interpret it. And they say, oh, king, live forever. Tell us your dream, and then we'll interpret it. But see, Nebuchadnezzar's not an idiot, right? You don't run a kingdom by being an idiot. He's going, no, 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 no. See, I'm going to tell you a dream, and you're going to give me some fake interpretation because I don't know any better than I'm... No, if you're really good at this, why don't you tell me the dream and the interpretation? That's what I pay you to do, right? And so that's, that's what's happening here. And I, I can get this because I believe in biblical prophecy. I believe the Lord speaks in these ways. I really do. And I've had people in my life and have seen it in just very beneficial ways. There's been moments that I've been in prayer groups where, where different people have been like, oh, the Lord's called me to tell you things. And I'm like, dang, that was actually really easy. And not to say that they weren't believing in God. I'm just, I was really, so I was out of the country. I was out of the country for five days. I'm away from my wife and my kids and so forth. And all the men in this room knew it. And we were praying and praying for each other. And this one came and goes, I think I have a word from the Lord. I'm like, yeah, what is it? He says, the Lord is telling me that there's, wait, there's somebody back at home who you miss. I'm like, come on, that's easy, right? That was about the easiest thing in the world, right? Yes, you know what? I think it's your wife. <laughs> yes, I missed them. Oh, Lord, right? And it's like. No, no, no knock on my man that said that. I'm glad he prayed for me. But it's like, the, Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, 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 it's not going to go down like that. He says to them, I want you to tell me the dream, and I want you to interpret it. And then he goes and he says, and if you can't, no big deal, I'm just going to rip you from limb to limb. And your family, right? And then they come back to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, 
No way can we do this. There's not a man on earth that can do this. No king has ever asked any of the astrologers, the magicians, the enchanters, all of He's never asked us to do this. And Nebuchadnezzar basically looks at them and says, I ain't every other king. Can you do it? And finally, they said they can't do it. So he puts out a decree and he says that he's going to kill everybody who is a part of the wise people. Well, guess who happens to be a part of the wise people? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 12. Because of the king was angry and very furious, he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? In essence, why is he tripping? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. Okay, um, side note, there are a few people in the Bible that I've just never been able, I've just never liked, right? Like, I like them, but I don't really like them. Joseph is one of them. Daniel's the other one. Here's why. You never see any faults of Daniel. Like, you can read throughout the whole book of Daniel, and you're like, what did Daniel ever do wrong? Like, nothing. And, and it's like, David, I love David, right? Man of sins and sorrows, we were David. Daniel, and it's like, dude, Daniel is like, he's never, and I, maybe when Daniel was writing this, he's like, I ain't putting anything in that I did wrong, right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The, the, spirit, the spirit inspired him to write it. The spirit was like, listen, you, you know what? We got a lot of stuff with David. We got a lot of stuff with some other people. Bathsheba, you know, we got, we got Rahab. We got a lot of stuff. Daniel, you and Joseph, we're going to let you guys ride. I don't know. But... When, he come, when, when they come to Daniel, it just seems he's so calm. Hey, guess what? What's up? The king said we need to kill you. Oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> Before you do that, is there any way that you can set up a meeting with me and the king? It's like, wow, Daniel. But he's confident because the Lord has given him something. He's given him a gift, okay? And then he says this, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Okay, so here's what happened. Daniel doesn't just go straight to the king. He goes to his community, goes to the people who know him, trust him, and love him. And he says, go on my behalf and on behalf of others to the Lord and ask for mercy that God would actually use the gift that he's given me to be able to interpret the dream that we may be able to save our lives, and not just our lives, but these other people as well. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go, they pray to the Lord. The Lord gives him the dream, and he gives them the interpretation. And then he doesn't go straight to the king. He does what we should do with any gift, any talent that the Lord gives us. It should be rolled up into praise and adoration to the one who's given it to us. So that's exactly what Daniel does. He prays, blessed be the name of, the, of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and now have made known to me what you ask, what we asked of you. For you have made known to us this matter. So right after that, he goes to Arioch, the king's man, and he says, hey, I got the interpretation. I got the dream and the interpretation. Arioch comes to the king. He says, hey, king, guess what? I found a man amongst the exiles who says he can interpret it. First of all, Arioch didn't find anything. Daniel came to him. Arioch is trying to get his, but he's lying. But Daniel doesn't care because he's actually doing what the Lord says to do. So he goes to him. Verse 20, or excuse me. 
Verse 26, the king, the king declared to Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Okay, here's what he's saying. Um, I'm going to give you the dream and I'm going to give you the interpretation, but I want you to know no man could do this. What he's trying to communicate is, this is God. Just so you know, none of us can do this. Don't think it's me. It's completely the Lord who's working through me. So he says, nobody can do that. He continues, verse 28, but there is a God. Let me just tell you right now, if I were in a more chocolate church right now, when I got to this point and I said, but there is a God, somebody would have been like, yes, there is, <laughs> right? But I get the context. So he says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what will be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than any other living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts in your mind. So he says, it's not me again, but you had the Lord revealing to you what's about to go down. And so I'm going to tell it to you. So Dan lets him know what you saw in your dream was a vision. And this vision that you saw, it was a statue. And in this particular statue, on the top, there was gold. The head was made of gold. And then from there, the chest and the arms was silver. And from there, the legs were bronze. And from there, there was iron on the, on the bottom part of the legs. And the feet were a mixture of iron and clay. And it stood tall. Um, and he began to talk about these things as being particular kingdoms. And what we know from history is first, the first kingdom of, of gold, that was the kingdom of Babylon. That reigned for years in the known land and had its power. And he says, God had given you this power. That God had given all these kingdoms the power. But one day, there will be another kingdom and another kingdom and another kingdom. And he goes on and says, but then there's this stone. And he goes, this stone, this small stone, begins to break every single kingdom from the bottom up. And you saw that. And it, it all just puffed into the air. He goes, what is going on is there is a kingdom that is reigning, and it's your kingdom and God's given to you. There's going to be an inferior kingdom that's going to come up one day, and they're going to have their chance. And that kingdom is going to be the Medes and the Persians together. And they're going to have their reign for a couple years. And after that, there's going to be another kingdom that, that rises up. And that kingdom happens to be the Greeks. And the Greeks come in, and they're going to reign in their day. And after that, then the Roman Empire is going to be established. And there are going to be all of these empires. But none of these empires, as beautiful and as gifted and as talented and as powerful as they are, none of them will last forever. Oh, but that stone that you saw. That stone happens to be a kingdom that is going to crush all of these kingdoms. And this particular kingdom, though it's seemingly insignificant and small, will actually reign and endure forever. He's pointing to the kingdom in which God's going to establish in the personal work of Jesus Christ. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're having your time right now. But none of these kingdoms are rooted and established and built on the narrative of God being one who created, one who's coming to redeem, one who's going to restore, and his kingdom is entering in in such a way that though seemingly insignificant, will last forever and will be a blessing to all men, women, and children who would get in on this. And Daniel is so certain about this interpretation. Look at the latter part of verse 45. He gets to end of uh, interpreting, he says this, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And then he says this, The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. If there was a mic back then, they didn't have mics back then. 
I don't know what they had, but he dropped it right after that, right? Whatever it was, he dropped it, and he said, King, I just got to do what I can do when I can do it. I'm just a young Hebrew man trying to expand my horizons, better myself in your kingdom. The king pays homage to him. He goes, man, you were amazing. I thank you for doing that. That was my dream, okay? And he promotes Daniel, and Daniel says, not just me, because you, know you, know, you know how our people are. It's a, he doesn't, I, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, they prayed too. He goes, all right, I'll promote them too. So they all got promoted, and that's the end of that particular chapter. And so we look at that, and we go, okay, but the competing narrative of, of Babylon was this beautiful city. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the world, Babylon, the Hanging Gardens, aesthetically beautiful, everything you needed, all the resources, all in Babylon, all the talent, all the youth, all the skill, technology, and so forth, it's there. But at some point, it all falls down. And so what, what, what is the competing story in which we have and the nation in which we live? Because we don't have a king in whom we're bowing down to. I mean, we, and if we think about a nation that's probably a nation in charge, we might say it's the very nation in, which, nation in which we live in. So what are the competing narrative in which we have that we need to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ as opposed to submitting to this narrative? And I would argue that one of those competing narratives we have is the story or the narrative or if you can say the religion, of consumerism. Consumerism, okay, well, I mean, we live in a very consumeristic culture, and it's not just an individual thing. It's not just like, I just make a decision, it's just me. This is not just individual. This is corporate. This is the air in which we breathe. This is the water in which we drink. It is in us whether we know it or not, whether we want to admit to it or not. It is something in which we live into. And so how did we get here? Okay, so I'm going to try to um, t- like explain, tell the story in about two minutes what took me about three years to learn, okay? <laughs> so here we go. First, if you go, if you, real fast. So if you go back to Europe, um, 18th century, and you think about um, poor Europe and going, what are ways in which we can actually think about the words of increase our economy or so forth? Well, there was a person there, good person. And I don't think, just by the way, none of this is necessarily like bad, good, or whatever, just a story. Person said, there's a way, an ethicist at that time by the name of Adam Smith said, you know what, what if we create particular goods? If we can create particular goods, that can help people, right? Good idea. So what if we create more goods that more people can have things? And not just the rich, but actually even the most vulnerable, those who are actually on the margin. So let's create more stuff. Well, then you fast forward with that idea, if you get to the 19th century, you have the Industrial Revolution. In the Industrial Revolution, that idea is actually realized because now we can manufacture as many goods as we possibly can think, right, within reason. So there's goods, goods, goods. You actually get to a point where they have more goods that are being produced than that are actually needed. So then the question comes in, do we stop the production of goods or do we continue the production of goods and just maybe have more desires? So the latter one out. And from that point, we start doing things called marketing and advertising. I did not say that marketing and advertising were bad and there's no place in God's story for that. It's not at all. It's just telling a story. I'm not saying that at all. So you have that. And what it, what it did was you start to have in your mind a perceived understanding of more needs. So what you went from saying, I needed one table, to going, you know what? We actually need a table in this room, too. You know what? I needed four chairs. But you know what? We need chairs in this table, too. So, or this room, too. So you have more and more and more. Well, then... You, you fast forward from there, and you go, there's just stuff. And you go all the way to our particular time, where people just really want stuff. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with consuming. The consumption, hear me, consumption is good. In fact, if you didn't consume anything, you'll die, right? Don't drink, don't eat, don't breathe. Nice knowing you, right? So we are created by God in his image. We are to consume. 
his beautiful creation, that he is the giver who's given us his gifts that we can begin to enjoy him. So no one's saying that this is necessarily bad. What it is is that the ism on the part of it actually becomes the part that begins to be the idolatry part. Consuming is not bad. Being an individual is not bad. Individualism, consumerism, that point is taking once good God's creation and twisting it upon sin. And what it does is it takes, as Romans 1 talks about, it takes that which is to be the gift and replaces it with the giver. And so now we look at the gifts, the things, the stuff, and we try to draw our, our meaning of life. We try to draw our significance. We try to draw our identity. We try to draw our value from the things in which we have. And we lead forward with that. And no, we've, we've completely omitted the giver. And we've taken the gift and we put it in the place of giver. And that becomes idolatry. And you go, oh, well, not me. Sure, not you. Only one. And so... It's, it's in all of us. And you go, well, how does this happen? Well, this is, this is a structure that happens not just in our, you know, in something you read. This is something in education. It's in politics. It's, every, it's everywhere you go. I, I could just use my own personal experiences, right, when it comes to just stuff. First, I think about when I was growing up, um, like you guys, I'm 22, and uh, <laughs> 35 and a half, um, there was this picture in classrooms everywhere. And the picture was, a picture of a big house on a hill. And then there was like these like garages. And in each garage, there was like a car. And each car was like a better car. And it's like, if you graduated from high school, this is kind of what you get. If you graduate from college, this is what you get. If you, man, if you, man, if you get past college and you can go to more colleges, man, you can get more, you can get a bigger house, all this. Like it was this huge deal. And it's like, yeah, the story of success. And that was kind of like the American dream. Like you do that, right? Then we moved from the inner city into the suburbs, and all of a sudden, um, not just <laughs> to the suburbs, and then in the suburbs, we went to a regular school, or not a regular school, we went to, went to a regular school, then from there we went to a supernatural school. No, we went, to, we went to a school that was kind of mixed income, and then they built a really, really nice school in the really, really part of our town, and then they bust us to that particular school. And when we got there, it was the first time I'd been to that part of my city, and I saw houses that I'd never seen before. Right? And immediately I saw these houses, and these were two-story houses. I'd never seen a two-story house. Like, not in real life, maybe on full house, but not in real life. Right? And so I'm looking at this house, and I'm like, there's, there's, there's a big house, usually a three-car garage, a basketball hoop in the front, a pool in the back, a dog, and an Astro van or an Aerostore van, either one you wanted. They both were dope back then, right? And so you had this, like, man, that's what you want. You want stuff. And hear me, it wasn't that people in the hood weren't as consumeristic as people in the suburbs. People want stuff no matter what race, creed, gender, no matter what you identify yourself as, you want stuff. No matter who you are. When I was doing inner city ministry, I, I noticed something when we moved and started doing uh, suburban ministry. Inner city ministry kids, it was all about the shoes. Man, people would go without food, but if they had their J's, man, I'm doing well. Hungry, but my feet is looking good, right? <laughs> got to the suburbs, they got to the suburbs, and the kids was like, man, what's wrong with your shoes? Man, I don't care about my shoes. Did you see my jeans, though? Did you see my jeans? And it was like, shoes, jeans, it didn't matter. People wanted stuff. Now, fast forward, our particular day, right? Kind of cultural, social, savvy people. We would pride ourselves on saying, we're not like our parents' generation. It's not about a big house. It's not about more this. I don't need, I don't need a TV in this room and that room in the background. I don't, need, I don't need all that stuff, right? I'm all about sharing and sharing life together. And if I have a garage, I made it into an apartment for some friends to live in for free because I'm outward focused, right? <laughs> right? I get it. I get it. I get it, right? We, we, we're like, we're not about stuff. But that doesn't mean that we're not just as equally consumeristic because we may be less about stuff, but, man, we are far more about experiences. 
Yeah. <laughs> if I had that same thing that Daniel had, he didn't have a mic, I would just drop it right there. So I'm talking to my wife the other day, and, and I, I can't remember the context of the story. It was probably me, I don't know, giving her wisdom or something. And uh, <laughs> I only said it because she's in this service. She wasn't here earlier. <laughs> she needs to know. So we, we were talking about something, and it was like, you don't spend money on stuff. Because I pride myself, I don't spend money on a whole bunch of clothes. You know, I go to Ross, and then I'm always dressing for less, right? <laughs> and, and she says, but you will spend a lot of money on experiences. And I'm like... As she explained it, I'm like, I do. Like, I want to go to the restaurant. Like, I want to go. If I had it my way, we would eat at a nice restaurant every single night. Every night. What about at home? Forget the home. They cook for you there. Let's get it. They wash the dishes for you. Can I get some more of this? Yeah, thank you. Right? <laughs> that experience. Go places. It's just experience, experience, experience. And mind you, none of that is wrong in itself. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we want. That's why nobody wants to live here. Everybody wants to live somewhere else. Everybody wants to travel. Have you traveled? 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 Where have you been? How many languages do you speak? You don't speak any language, right? And so, but there, but there, there is a sense of like, I'm entitled now. Like, I'm in, I graduated from college, mom. I'm supposed, you're supposed to send me to Europe now. And it's like, listen, you, you just graduated from college. You can pay me back. But, uh, you know, but there's experiences. And not only do we have these experiences, we have a medium of which we can use to promote these experiences and share these experiences with everybody else on social media. Here, let me, let me, let me read this to you guys real quick. Um, I was, there's this poet that I like to read sometimes. His name's Drake. <laughs> and and he, he says this, literally. He says, I always hear people complain about the place that they live, that all the people here are fake and they got nothing to give because they've been staring at somebody else's version and that makes another city seem more exciting than it is. I know a girl whose one goal was to visit Rome, and then she finally got to Rome, and all she did was post pictures for the people at home. <laughs> I know a girl who saves pictures from the places she's flown to post later to make it look like she's still on the go. I, that right there is a cultural narrative of what the times in which we live in. They even have, I just found this out this week, they have such things called Instagram cafes. Cafes that are aesthetically beautiful that you can go in and take pictures to be able to post out that you are hashtag living your best life. <laughs> At the end of the day, there's no experience and there's no amount of stuff that can satisfy the deepest recesses of our hearts. Right? At some point, no matter what you get, it's all going to fall down. And, and this is a story that we, that we live in. And again, it's not that buying stuff or having stuff or not having, that's not the issue. It's going, do we have any discernment? Do we have any wisdom from the Lord above to be able to make our way forward? Or do we just fall in suit with everybody else? Let's come home real quick. It's not just in the world, right? When the Bible says, don't be like the world, what Paul is talking about when he talks about being in the world, what John is talking about in the world, he's talking about the systems and the structures the, the dominant narratives that are pervasive in the world in which we live in. He says, we can't live out of that particular narrative of worldview. Ours has to be rooted in the gospel of Christ. But we are actually, one person said it this way, culture is like the rain. No matter how much you put on, it's still going to get on you. And it affects this. And we bring it into how we do church. The way in which you and I do church is wildly consumeristic. We just got to go ahead and own it. Like, no matter what, no, not me, I'm a purist. No, you're not, you're not, you're not. Okay, you are, but then you're lying. Now you're a liar, right, which is equally as simple. So there, 
When I, the first church I went to when I became a Christian was a big church, the mega church. It was, it was like 10,000 people, whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to leave a church. And when I left to go find a church, I thought I had good intentions. But let's just be honest. There's still some sort of like, um, consumeristic mindset in it. The way we choose churches and so forth, it's like a buffet, right? And we go to the buffet and we see what we got. Okay, let's see. I need, I need some gospel-centered preaching. Um, ooh, it's got to be not that boring. Um, and I want this, and I want some bomb worship music. Got to get that. And we realize, okay, these two don't always go together. So which one am I going to pick, right? Um, and then for me, I was single at the time. It's like probably want to find a place where there's some young people at. You know, maybe somebody who's not married is looking for somebody to be married. Somebody who can, you know, tell their friends to get with my friends, and we could be friends. We can hang out <laughs> for the Lord, right? And so you have this. You know, this this is a true story. And then, I mean, it happens all the time. And then you get what you particularly need from that particular church. And if there's another product somewhere else that's better, you better believe you're going to end this one and go to somewhere else. I mean, honestly. And we've had, you might say the privilege, I would say maybe the curse of being known as a quote-unquote cool church. Honestly, that's not, I don't say that as like, yeah, it's prideful. No, I say it to our demise and maybe even a point of lament. Because if we're winning people because something is cool, then they may not actually be following and trusting Jesus because nothing about Jesus is cool. When you read about Jesus, we try to make, he was kind of cool. No, he wasn't. They killed him, right? They did not like him. He was a reject. It was not everybody was like, we want to be on the Jesus team. Even his closest friends were like, no, I don't know him. Peter said that. Like legit, legitimately, we follow the biggest reject of the world that the world hated, and yet we are killing ourselves and trying to get everybody to like us. It doesn't make any sense, and we're all in it. So even in the consumeristic world, we bring it here. Guarantee you this. We lost our, if we couldn't, the AC went out. If the AC went out and we said, hey, we cannot fix the AC, we don't have the resources, somebody here will pony up and write a check, or everybody else will be like, yeah, I can't come to church until they get that AC fixed. If it's not comfortable, we ain't having it. If the service times don't work, we ain't having it. All right, can I go there? Can I keep going there? If Ricardo's not preaching, I may not come. What does that do to me? It makes me a commodity. It doesn't make me an actual human being. So you guys weren't ready for that. That, that, this, 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 if it's not built on the saving, finishing, satisfying work of Jesus Christ, it will fall down. If we can acknowledge that those are the waters in which we swim in and the air in which we breathe, we might be able to have a moment to have a little repentance, not just individually, but corporately, and say, Lord, what is the proper, most healthiest way forward? When we look at the life of Daniel, there is some wisdom and discernment, two words that we don't really use a whole lot, but we ought to. Because we rather say, do this or don't do that. It doesn't have that. Because in Daniel, what we see in chapter 1, they're like, listen, we're not going to eat the food that you give us, and we're not going to drink the drink that you give us. For whatever reason, we're going to draw a line here. But then, when they give them new names, they take the names of even the names that are that are Named, they're named after false, they're false gods. And they're, yeah, sure, give us the name, but we won't eat the food. What they're doing is, at some level, they're remembering the story that they're a part of, the story of Yahweh and how he rescues. They understand that. They're with each other in community in a way of going, what do we do? They're constantly going back and forth to each other in community and going, can you pray for me? i got to get this interpretation of this dream. And so for us, it, ha- it can't be one person at a time doing it. It has to be an understanding of a community on mission for the Lord centered around the saving work of Jesus Christ, asking each other, having dialogue with each other, pointing each other forward to the ways of Jesus. And you say, what does that look like? I'll give us three practices. There could, be a, there could be many. Three practices. One, when it comes to combating a consumeristic culture, gratitude. Two, community. 
three, prayer. Then you say prayer last week. Prayer is going to be in every one. All right? Gratitude. Gratitude is just being thankful. You, re- you begin to realize you have more you have more than you can imagine when you actually begin to slow down and be thankful for the things that you have. Think about your prayer life. If your prayer life is flooded with petitions and supplications, that means you're asking for God, God, I need, God, can you, God, will you, God, will you. Why don't you stop and go from adoration to thanksgiving? God, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are. Who he is to thanksgiving. God, you have given me this, you have given me that, I have this, I have that, I have that. By the time you get to the supplications, you're like, you know what, Lord, I'm good. I'm good. Because I just realized how much I have because I have you. We say this all the time. Whatever the world can offer, God offers more because he offers himself fully, freely, and wholly for us to be able to graciously receive at no cost to us, at a cost to his son. And so gratitude, it helps us. And gratitude doesn't get us towards guilt. If you walked out of here and go, I think what I heard from the pastor was that I got too much stuff and I need to sell it all. And no, 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 no. You didn't hear that. The gospel never leads to guilt, right? It's gratitude. And gratitude will always lead to generosity. Once you realize I have more than enough, you're looking around and saying, where can I give? Where can I serve? Where can I pour myself out? Because all you're doing is resembling the one who at infinite cost to himself, he gave himself for you. So you have this sense of gratitude. And then you go to community. And I'm not talking the way we do community as well. The, the word community is a, a, a buzzword. You got community, I got community. I got community here, I got community there. That's not community, that's just having a good time. Not to say you can't have a good time with Jesus. But I'm just saying, it's just, it's, community here is people who know you and people who you know. People who you can say the hard things around and they can say the hard things to you. People who you can say, as I'm thinking about my life and I'm thinking about how to combat this, I want to be able to dialogue with you. No one's going to be able to find answers right away, but as a community centering around the word and the work of Christ, going, like, what do we do here? It's having a faithful, biblical community. And lastly, it's prayer. And it's, 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 it's offering up our entire lives to the Lord. It's relying upon the Lord. It's confessing even in prayer where we've been wayward. Because if we build on anything else other than the kingdom, it's all going to fall down. You see, the, the kingdom of consumerism says it's actually more blessed to receive than it is to give. The kingdom of the enduring kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom that lasts forever, says it's actually more blessed to give than it is to receive. In the kingdom of consumerism, the story of consumerism, it says that you need to have things in order to get things. The kingdom of the gospel, this upside-down kingdom, says all you need is need, and he gives you all things. That in the economy of the kingdom, there's the economy of the kingdom of God, you don't have enough resources to buy yourself in. But God, in his love and his grace for you, actually pays the cost in order for you to be freely and fully in. That when it comes to the upside-down kingdom, it's radically different than things of this world. Because the way in which consumerism works says the only way that you can be satisfied is only but temporary. But Jesus says, I will satisfy you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you bread that you will never hunger. I'll give you water that you will never thirst. And all of those things are found in him. That when we find ourselves satisfied in the work of Christ, now we have found ourselves freely able to give ourselves to God and others in the way that we were intended. So now we can take the gifts that God has in this world and we can enjoy them in the way that he intended, and all of them can roll up to praise and worship and adoration for who our great God is, who has established his kingdom in Christ, and it was coming to fully reign for all eternity for every man, every woman, every child that will repent and believe and trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Amen? The way of Jesus is always difficult, and it's always hard. We need to tell you that. It's always difficult, and it's always hard, but it actually is the good life because it comes from an everlasting, 
good father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of your son Jesus on behalf and for the sake of the world. God, we confess that sometimes we don't have the lens or the eyes to see how sin has twisted the things that are good. And Father, that we ourselves as followers of Christ, those of us in this room that would say that we trust and follow you, how we are co-opted oftentimes, Lord, into the, into the ways of this world. We are co-opted in such a way that our faith, in which we think is so pure, oftentimes, Lord, is, is muddied in the waters of our culture. So we pray through the blood of Christ that you would purify it. We pray through the proximity of being in life with other followers of Christ, trying to figure out life as we walk together. Lord, we ask that we would be on our knees seeking you and asking for your favor and your guidance and for you to move, that you would give us the gifts and talents to faithfully serve you and those in our community, to live out the kingdom of God, a kingdom in which you have invited us into, a kingdom that does not look pretty, a kingdom that is not flashy, but a kingdom that is marked by a bloody cross and an empty tomb. God, we thank you for the ways of Christ that you've laid before us and that you've freely given to us. Lord, help us to live and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we get the opportunity to respond. And um, in just a moment, one of the guys is going to lead us in a time of response. But before we do that, sit still and listen to the Holy Spirit and whatever the Holy Spirit is communicating to you um, in response to his word. And again, in just a moment, Andy will come and lead us in a time of response. Mm -hmm.